South is definitely chock full of monsters. I had a shiner, and the scratches on my neck are healing up nicely, so I found out the hard way. Thank you, Alistair Crow, and thank you, Mr. Culprit. But what you found out, as tough as you are, there is always someone or something around the corner that is just that much more dangerous. Mr. Trevor Eon, he wants to pick a fight with me. He wants to see who the bigger monster is. Well, my friend, this is just the calm before the clown. You see, when you cross over past that squall line, I'm gonna take you into oblivion because I am that stronger monster. And man, man, your atoms don't even vibrate at the same frequency as mine. <laughs> so Devil's Night, October 30th in Piedmont, Alabama, and Pro South. When that clown paint goes on, Mr. Eon, you will be running with the devil. Pro South, what have you done? What have you unleashed? <laughs> This is the Pro Wrestling Shoot. This is the Pro Wrestling Shoot. Here we go again. This is the Pro Wrestling Shoot. Hey, what's up? This is your host, Jesse Carter. Pro Wrestling Shoot. It's about to get exciting. Pro Wrestling Shoot. How long is this going to last? Pro What's going on, everybody? This is Jesse Carter, and you are listening to the Pro Wrestling Shoot. As always, join with me, my co-host, James Pinard Jr., and today, join with us the Warlord of Weird, Sin Bodhi. What's going on, man? What's happening, boys? Thank you very much for having me. Oh, man, it's a pleasure. Uh, sorry about all that technical issue. Before, uh, we had to switch over to Skype on this one, guys. Uh, sometimes Zincaster just doesn't love us. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe I just, maybe it's all my fault. Maybe I'm just too stupid and hitting the wrong buttons and <laughs> do that, doodly doos and little lasers and all that stuff. I don't know what's going on with it. Like, uh, surround me by ropes and turnbuckles and I'm, you know, fairly, uh, fairly, uh, useful, but otherwise, maybe not. <laughs> oh, man, it's, it's, it's not an issue at all, man. Uh, shit happens. But unfortunately, you know, um, well, fortunately, you know, we get this going and, now we don't have to worry about it. Skype is very useful at times. <laughs> at times. I was joking with uh, Jesse when we were trying to figure out all this schnabitz and uh, just saying Zencast my ass. Like, I, there's nothing Zen about this. I feel like I want to dropkick my freaking computer through the wall right now. So I'm all <laughs> revved up. I'm like, stupid technology. 
Yeah, don't we all get like that? <laughs> Cyberdyne systems, Jesus, you know. <laughs> so, Sin, how's it been um, in this tough time during the pandemic for you, man? I've seen that you've done some really creative things, but there at the beginning, it was hard on everybody. Um, so, what what was it that kind of kicked you into a different gear and decided to uh, get the creative juices flowing? Uh, well, I think it's it's easy to. Uh, lay down and roll over and, and just give up. I think uh, that whole cliche of like when the tough get going or the, when the going get tough, the tough get going and all that, you know, so we've all been handed a very shitty dealt uh, this past year. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on this thing, so I apologize. Yeah, no, you're fine, man. Anything okay. Fine? So, yeah, so we'll just, we'll just refer to 2020 from here, uh, here on in as the shit show. So I think, you know, everybody just having to deal with, you know, illness and fear and politics and lack of money and jobs and, uh, you know, just everything. It just, uh, it's been a very difficult year. And so to try to be positive and not be negative or, or what have you, like, okay, this is the hand we're dealt. We're basically all doing a stretch, uh, for a crime none of us committed. You know, we're all paying the price. Uh, everybody's going stir crazy, especially when like the lockdowns were, were, were in full effect. You know, like I'm watching statistics and stats and all that jazz and, you know, people are crawling the walls and, you know, um, you know, all sorts of horrific, uh, numbers are coming in on all the various news, you know, uh, outlets and stuff talking about, um, you know, like, uh, alcoholism is up, murder is up, uh, spousal abuse is up, all this, you know, all these horrific things, let alone a freaking pandemic, let alone people losing their, their jobs and livelihoods and dreams and, and so forth. So I just thought, okay, what can I do? What can little old me do? And I thought, you know, on any given day, you know, uh, I'm a wrestler, I'm a player coach, I'm a coach, you know, I do seminars and stuff. I'm like, what can I, what with my given skill set, how can I make things at all better or at least put a smile on somebody's face? And I'm certainly by no stretch Mother Teresa or anything. Um, a birthday clown, maybe like, you know, and again, that's not even, that's not even a, a pun towards my wrestling uh, character or whatever. <laughs> but I just thought, you know, just to, to drop knowledge and, and is to do exactly that. But the, the more uh, immediate reason to uh, open up that snake pit so we could, you know, have kind of a cyber locker room worldwide where guys and girls could, you know, in the industry could, you know, learn some stuff and ask questions and have their matches reviewed and this and that. So it was, again, it was for exactly that. But the prime reason was to distract people from crawling the walls. That was the main reason. And uh, people have really taken to it and I'm very flattered at it. You know, when I, when I am out and about doing shows, you know, depending on whatever, whichever state protocols are allowing us to do these, you know, these fractional shows. Um, I get so many wrestlers that I've never met before coming up and said, Hey coach, thank you very much coach. And it's like, man, it's just a, it's a really cool feeling to know that you helped somebody that was crawling the walls somewhere else. So um, for that, I just, I'm, I'm very proud of, of that for, if for nothing else that. Definitely, man. It's, it's had to have been a rough time for everything, but you know, um, one of the first things that I seen you do, uh, during the pandemic, which was amazing, was the the Wheel of Misfortune match. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, how, what, what went into making that, man? That shit was wild. 
So, okay, so that was done way pre-pandemic. That was almost like, I want to say it's like three years ago or more. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was like, that's literally my backyard. That is literally right behind my house. Oh, my goodness. And it's, it's huh. an old abandoned, um, I can't remember the name of the chemical, but it's this weird old, basically, it's like something out of Scooby-Doo. It's like some old abandoned chemical mine, chemical pit, you know, whatever. And... um in Nevada, where I live here, like on the edge of Las Vegas, um, I guess like that land is like nothing can grow on it. Like the soil is still got that black oozy, you know, kind of ick to it. Nothing will grow there. And I think, uh, the, the last legal owners like dead for like half a century or so. And nobody wants to claim it because not even the government, because if, if somebody comes along and buys that, then they have to take responsibility for fixing it. And I want to say like the estimated cost for fixing it was like a billion some odd dollars. So, I mean, that doesn't make <laughs> Shit. any sense. So, uh, yeah, I, I shook, I looked under my couch. I tried to look through my cushions to see if I had that much change. <laughs> and I did not. Suffice it to say, I did not. Um, but it's a fun place to play that, uh, you know, again, it's really kind of wild west. Like the government doesn't care about it. No, there's nobody that can lay stake to it. So a lot of people just go out there and do their graffiti and this and that and whatever. And I just thought, uh, thought it would be a cool place. Um, one of my buddies, uh, smartened me up to it. Um, a good, good friend of mine, a performer here, uh, Andrew S. Andrew Stanton, who was, uh, again, while shows were running in Vegas was part of that brand new, um, live action horror show. Um, it was sort of like produced by Sir called Run. And this is just a, uh, uh, Andrew is just a gnarly dude, a really great dude. One of those like just crazy Vegas underground performers. He played the bad guy, the, the main villain in uh, Run, and uh, he's. I mean, I've got I've got a Guinness World Record under my belt. He's got many, and he was like the first guy ever on planet Earth to uh, do the suspension hooks by his face. Like he's just uh, a oh, wow. super super uh, heavy duty artsy um just this kind of artsy guru of like sideshow and stuff uh he's the guy that i talked about in one of those episodes of syndiculousness doing the vegas underground handshake the secret handshake all right so so if you guys don't know about that i would invite you to go on youtube and type in syndiculousness and find the uh secret handshake um yeah it's just a fun fun little bit of bit of schnabitz as the wrestlers would say but anyway so short story long um, that pit is like right behind my house. And I just thought it would just be a really cool, uh, neat thing to do. So my sort of longtime frenemy, uh, funny bone, you know, um, thought, you know, he, he would make an ideal opponent to, you know, get down and dirty in such a gnarly place. And, uh, we did. And, uh, Jake, the snake off camera was there to sort of help. Uh, he, he kind of helped direct a little bit of it and it was just cool having him there and i mean he was sweating his ass off because it's in the middle of the desert in the middle of summer i want to say it was 115 out during that whole thing oh jesus he's like brother 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 hurry up and get this done brother i'm gonna freaking melt (laughs) (laughs) man i can't imagine that just wrestling out in that heat alone yeah it's me and funny boner like uh like beating the crap out of each other i'm like well we gotta hurry up because jake's getting upset Oh man, he's he's sort of like a father figure to a lot of different wrestlers. <laughs> yeah, I That's mean, cool. I always joke with him, tell him he's my fairy god brother, brother, brother. 
<laughs> That's great, dude. Yeah, I mean, a lot of creative stuff has come out of this pandemic. I mean, it's it's an unfortunate event, obviously, and it's it sucks for people like me who who spend a lot of time going to these wrestling events and sure. independent. Trust me, I am one of those dudes that spends a lot of time going to those wrestling events and partaking. And yeah, yeah. the pandemic has robbed me of using those things to a um, just totally vent my creativity to the world and B put food on my family's table. So two for two, this pandemic has taken so much for me as it has everybody else, you know, and then now that I'm thinking about it too, uh, you said that the wheel of misfortune, are you talking about the race from the pit? Is that what you're talking about? I think that was the one that I, yeah. Cause I did see the, the wheel of misfortune. Um, but I think I found that one after uh race to the pit. So okay. I, I do believe that I got uh, turned around there. Yes. Okay, so yeah, when you're asking me, so uh, just I, I was just kind of thinking about that because you're like talking about the pandemic, and I'm like, well, I did the race from the pit during the pandemic. Yeah, um, yeah, that was the one I was thinking the same, of. Yeah, it's the same place. Uh, they're just right behind all those big tar pits um, where me and Funny Bone fought each other. Is that giant pit? I mean, there's dilapidated boats and ice cream trucks and buses and all sorts of crazy, weird stuff down there, and. Uh, so we literally, um, we packed a knapsack full of Gatorade and Pedialyte and it took us about an hour and a half to walk down into that pit. And as we were walking, I was just kind of looking around kind of with my producer brain kind of go, Oh, we could do something over here. We could do something here. This thing looks neat. This thing looks neat. And we literally shot that thing in about a half an hour to an hour, whatever it was like literally we just worked like we didn't memorize a whole bunch of stuff. We didn't do a whole bunch of takes. I literally was just like, uh, to Sarge, to the big guy that was on there. I'm like, all right, let's fight here. We'll go over to that thing and then throw me into that thing and we'll just cut it from there. So, okay. On went the, the red light and we just start beating the shit out of each other. And then next thing you know, we get to, uh, you know, uh, him launching me into this uh, big pile of wood and tires or whatever. Okay. All right. So we dust ourselves, get up, not even dust ourselves off just to keep continuity. And then we get up and all right, let's go fight and go, go throw me in, throw me in that, uh, dilapidated boat over there like okay cool and a lot of the stuff we just did like when i bounced that basketball into his face or when i threw that paint can on his on his foot or just what there's a lot of that stuff we just we're just working like we just kind of went out and just literally rolled around in the, in the dirt and just found what we could find and then uh, on the way up um we filmed some of the stuff that was like on the literally on those cliffs like there's a moment where He's trying to smash me into like the red dilapidated. I don't know why I like to say the word dilapidated so much. I think Matt Hardy's in my brains. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's that red truck and we're literally, literally on like a 200 foot cliff doing that shit. So it was, you know, I, we did it very carefully. Like I don't do anything jackass style. I just don't hope for the best. Like there's always a method to my madness, you know, if nothing else for to keep my dance partner safe. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we, we slug each other pretty good. I mean, that big Sarge dude, I mean, he doesn't mess around. He's, he's legit 300 pounds of pure beef, you know, and, uh, Primo Pulpo, uh, the evil manager in that story was, is one of my students to this day. He's a very great, really good kid, good guy. And, uh, we just had a lot of fun. And then, um, Karen, my wife literally filmed it a feet away from us and, uh, we used the one camera and we had a drone. So half the shots, like when I edited it, I just have to take Karen out of the drone shot. So sometimes I'm zooming in or putting it on a weirder kind of slight angle. So sometimes it looks a little lopsided 
that was really just to kind of kayfabe my wife from holding a video camera five feet from wherever we were beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> and so just, again, just, and that was, you know, that, that, uh, race from the pit, uh, the syndiculousness episodes and the snake pit, uh, all the online, uh, coaching, all that stuff was just meant to distract during the, the pandemic. Definitely to distract myself, but for sure to distract, um, all the, you know, wrestling fans, wrestlers, you know, just everybody, everybody that I could. Well, well, another, another distraction. Um, let's talk about the LJN figures that you're making. Okay. Um, same, you, originally, you originally had to sell a lot of them, right? Yeah. Okay. So how this started was like, so I had them as, I had those things as a kid. So uh, for people who don't know what LJNs are, these, those are those like, big giant rubber chew toy style of wrestlers from like the eighties uh, when I was a kid. And so we collected those things, me and edge and Christian and other little kids in the neighborhood, you know, we collected these little dudes. And um, on a side note, edge was and is the biggest Hulk Hogan mark in the galaxy. And he would get so livid at me and Jay, me and Christian. If we scuffed his Hulk Hogan, LJN, you fucking assholes, you scuffed Hulk Hogan. <laughs> And he'd, he'd go into the other room to get like a drink of water or something. And me and Jay would just beat the shit out of Hulk Hogan. And, uh, <laughs> but so anyway, so for, so that's what they are for people who don't know. So I had a whole chunk of these guys. I didn't have all of them, but I had a good dose of them. And then, uh, they were stolen out of my parents' garage when I was like a, I don't know, maybe a late teeny bopper, early twenties. Um, the, the, my parents lived in a condo for a little while and, uh, the basement flooded for whatever reason. And all the little, the janitor taking the locks off of all the doors so people could get their stuff out of their storage units. And somebody swiped my box of LJNs and I got asked, what kind of monster steals another man's rubber wrestling toys? Like, what the hell? But I digress. And, uh, Ed still has all of his to this day. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And, uh, so he's got his own, like, he's got the, like, the Holy Grail. He's got, like, the Sergeant Slaughter and stuff and all this stuff. And, uh, and so anyway, so, um, over the years, I decided to recollect them. And, you know, a few years ago when things were going all right, I just sort of splurged and, uh, put a dent in eBay and kind of reacquired, like, every single one, every proper LJN I had, like, from Sergeant Slaughter to all the way down, uh, you name it. And then when this uh, pandemic kicked in, well, I'm just thinking like, man, you know, I'm looking at the long con of it, you know, as a wrestler, just trying to see the kind of the long storyline. What well, how's this bullshit going to play out, you know? And I just thought like, if I can't be my family, like what, what kind of equity do I have around here that I can liquidate very quickly just to uh, make sure I can feed my family, you know? I've got a wife, I've got a little 12-year-old stepdaughter, and I've got all these little critters that we rescue and stuff. And we've got dogs and cats and tortoises and snakes and chickens and all sorts of weird stuff around this house. So I figured probably the smart play was just to, instead of trying to sell them off individually, um, I just thought I just wanted to sell the whole load of them and just get a quick buck. Like I probably, I for sure could have made more if I sold them all individually, but I think that would have just taken too long and it would have just kind of broken my heart. So it was like, I just get rid of them in one foul swoop, like one uh, rip the band aid right off, you know? And, uh, so I did. So I sold them for a, a, a nice chunk of change, but nothing that they were really, really worth. And, uh, the moment I did it, I'm like, ugh, <laughs> you know, so yeah. I'm like, okay. But at the same time, I'm like, I gotta feed my kid. I gotta, you know, I 
got to be a man and take care of my, my family um, and all that jazz. So that's what I did. And then I was, it was, it was almost funny because like I had, when I, when I showed that I had sold those things or when I went first, when I was selling them, I had so many wrestlers reach out to me like, don't do it. Don't sell up dog for the love of Pete. Don't do it. I don't know who the Pete character is, but um, yeah, they're like, don't do it. When I sold them, they're like, oh man, it was, it was like I lost a relative or something. I got so much, almost like damn near flooded with like condolences sort of messages like all these people <laughs> so deflated they're like can't believe you had to do that and all this stuff and i'm like well you know you know as, as shitty as that is again you know the kid the kid needs food the rent needs to be paid the dogs need to be fed you know and all that kind of jazz and and too like i mean i've got things to distract myself my kid sitting here crawling the walls so she is a little um acro dancing little machine like she can do stuff that makes Rey Mysterio look like Shockmaster. I mean she is just this 12 year old little acrobat Jim Cutta freaking ninja and <laughs> so for her not to be able to go to cl- her dance classes and her acro classes and she even does circus classes like she wants to be in Cirque when she grows up. Oh wow. And she is awesome. I've even, I've, I remember even sending Rey Mysterio a clip of her doing uh, one or two of his spots in the ring and he was just like, man, he goes, we'll just slap a mask on her and I can call it sick one, one time or two, you know, he's like, she could be a stunt double, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so, so point being is she's very talented and, and just a little athlete and she can't just sit in front of a TV waiting for this pandemic to subside, you know, she needs to practice and stuff. So I bought her this little aerial rig for the backyard that was, you know, quite a few bucks that, you know, she could practice on. So she didn't just kind of lose, you know, her flexibility and strength and different things that those kids have to train like so arduously to, to build and maintain and so forth. So, so that money definitely went to, to good use. And then, um, but what I did have uh, to be an extra nerd, kind of my silver lining was like, um, years ago, I dabbled in making those customs, like the custom LJNs, like where I would, again, for people that don't know, like where you would chop shop an original LJN and turn them into somebody else. And so I had boxes full of these, like what they would call beater LJNs, like ones that were just all scuffed up and dirty and gross and whatever, whatever you just get for cheap, like in big bundles and lots off of like eBay or whatever. And so I, one day I just sort of dug through them and I, and I realized I had a good chunk of them still, but they were just all, tarnished excuse me i've got the coffee burps and i'm burping all over you guys during this podcast so pardon my un uh, my my grossness you're all good uh, man but so anyway so i, I looked through, i looked through them and i was like well i kind of have you know they weren't anywhere near as nice as my first ones but they were just you know ones that i were uh, that i was going to chop shop or do something to or whatever um so i just started kind of refurbishing them and then i um, you know, sold a couple and thought, Hey, this is a really fun hobby. This uh, really distracts me. Like my brain is a freaking hornet's nest on the worst of days, let alone the best of days. And this just kind of let me just kind of dumb down and just zone out and forget about all the woes of planet earth. And, um, yeah, so I just started refurbishing them. And then, uh, as I was kind of looking at some of the, the customizers from now, um, I realized that like, guys were like uh, doing those 3D printed enlarged heads from some of the articulated figures. And so I had a couple guys send me some of those heads and, and then I just started kind of going to work and then I started just kind of 
chop shopping them and using my artsy fartsiness to kind of try to find new ways to do it that I hadn't seen anybody do it before. And, and then just started kind of, you know, making some and selling a few and making some and selling a few. And, and, um, so it, it, I'm not getting rich off it by any means, but I'm, but it's, it's a hobby that's paying for itself and that gives me a few bucks. So that's cool. And again, just something, an extra thing for me to do just to put food on the table during this fucking crazy time in human history. And there you go. Well, man, it's, it's been great watching you, uh, some of the creations you've come up with, man, and, and recreating this whole LGN. I also, my, myself, I also grew up, uh, with the LGN figures and, uh, then turned into like Hasbro and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, man, it's great. I mean, you, you've even done like a couple of, of current day wrestlers in LJN form. Yeah, um, I, I try to stick to more of the old school stuff, more of the stuff that I liked as a kid, like the stuff that propelled me into loving wrestling and being wanting to be a wrestler. Um, no, no offense to the modern day guys and girls. I think oh, no, no, no. They're wonderful performers. I just kind of, this is my happy place. So if somebody hires me to make a Finn Balor or uh, whomever, yeah, sure, no problem. And I'm playing like that's, I don't mind doing that. I do that all the time for a little customs. I'm uh, working on a couple right uh, right before I put those down to come and uh, talk to you guys. I was working on a couple, but and then a bunch of indie guys. I've done really a lot of like the custom requests I've, I've gotten were about ninety percent for indie guys, and then the odd person would want some maybe super duper old school wrestler like I did Sputnik Monroe, which is awesome. Like he is such a staple in wrestling history. It was really cool. Uh, thing for me to do that. Um, who else? Uh, who else did I do? Uh, I've done I've done a few old school ones, and then I'm you know I'm doing some like super duper old school ones. But I did some '80s ones and this and that. I'm actually working on a, a Raven right this second for uh, for somebody. Um, but the ones for myself, yeah, no, it's it's fun to do. And the Raven and a lot of these guys are guys that I've been in the ring with, <laughs> so. It's, it's kind of weird to, to do that and, you know, but, uh, it's fun. And again, it just, uh, it, it, it kind of takes my, it takes my, uh, uh, focus away from stressing about things that I really can't do anything about. You know, you just gotta, um, do the best you can for your family and all that jazz. And I think what my, my next sort of upgrade to is I'm going to start doing instead of just chopping up these LJNs and, and putting articulate or putting uh, like uh, the, the different action figure heads on them and whatever, whatever. I'm actually going to sculpt them head to toe. I'm going to just oh, do wow. some original, totally original hmm. um, little dudes. So I, yeah. I got to, but I'm uh, kind of toying around which ones I want to do first. And, and a lot of these ones, like I, I always am learning just like in pro wrestling, like you always learn. So uh, yeah, I make one and then I realize, okay, well, crap, I should have did this or what I should have could have. And I kind of learn from it. And then uh, I don't make that mistake on the next one, but then I'll make some other mistakes. And I learn from that and so forth. So I've got a, a ton of these little uh, 3D enlarged heads and so forth that I've kind of been chop shopping on different bodies and, and getting creative with how I even chop up the bodies into like different bodies and add getting pretty proficient in uh, adding on to these little rubber dudes. And if any anybody that's listening knows anything about uh, you know like being like a, a plumber or a carpenter or whatever knowing anything to do with like dealing with rubber in general nothing wants to stick to rubber rubber is the most uncooperative um thing to try to 
sculpt or carve or add to or paint or whatever. So there's all sorts of weird little um, sneaky tricks that I have to do to kind of make this the rubber from these LJNs kind of cooperate. It's very different than if you're like I see other people that that custom those articulated figures. I could be bothered with articulated figures. That's just that's just kind of not my cup of tea. Like they're cool, it's just not my cup of tea. But those things are all plastic where you can you can sand them and add to them and do all these different things way easier. Like rubber is just a pain in the freaking ass. So I figured, you know, as I'm doing this stuff with this very uncooperative material, I'm just gonna start sculpt I'm just gonna start sculpting these things from scratch with a very sculpt friendly material as opposed to using such uncooperative materials. And then that way too, it'll be completely original instead of having a half of a Coco Beware body and half of a, a Roddy Piper body and half of a this and half of a, and a you know, a Paul Orndorff arm and a, you know, a dynamite kid leg or whatever the case is. And that'll just be totally original. <laughs> 100% man. Well, I, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed you posting pictures of a man and, and watching the journey along and, yeah, it's it, it's been. I'm I'm a toy nerd, dude. So that that shit takes me back to when I was a kid. Uh, I I love the creations that you're doing, man. I'm gonna ask you one more question, and then I'm gonna let my co-host dive into some questions for you. But uh, you uh, obviously we knew um, Edge grew up, you know, Hulk Hogan guy, and that's that's just uh sort of what inspired him to become a professional wrestler. But who were some of the guys that ins- that inspired you along the way that to want to do this for a living? Jake and Piper. Those are pretty blunt answers. Those are, those are great characters. Hands down, Jake and Piper, um, with a very, very close third in Macho Man. Um, and then, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've got a ton that I could, re- I could reference you, uh, 500 different wrestlers that I've enjoyed watching, but those are probably the, those are definitely the three that are like at the front of my, um, you know, fandom, uh, creative inspiration, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I was always sort of like, I, I gravitated more to the bad guys. Like I was a Roddy Piper guy in the worst set of a score. Like me and Edge would just be like, you, um, effort, no, you're an M effort. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, I was the Piper guy. He was the Hogan guy. And, uh, and then not long after that, like I, I, I saw Piper first, then I saw Jake. And I remember vividly sitting on a couch at uh, a, a fourth friend, another friend, like a, just a guy that, not a wrestler, just a, a local kid that we just grew up playing at that kid's house. His name was Sean. And me, Edge and Christian, and Sean and a couple other kids uh, were piled on the couch, just trying to keep our eyes open to watch Saturday Night's main event. And out comes Ricky Steamboat. And everyone's like, yeah, Ricky Steamboat. And I like Ricky Steamboat. He's awesome. And then out of nowhere, Jake comes along and DDTs Ricky Steamboat on the concrete. And I remember Edge and Christian being so upset, and like just glassy-eyed, you know, like, who can't believe that? What the hell is this guy? You know, I just remember thinking, I just remember thinking, well, you pussies, I'd much rather be the guy standing tall over Ricky Steamboat than being the guy that just got DDTed on the freaking concrete. So I was hooked instantly, right? I'm like, I have to know everything about this wrestler. And he wasn't the biggest or scariest, but he was the one that just got under my skin and got into my brain. Like I would remember, you know, as a little kid, you ask yourself little kid questions and you, you paint little kid pictures and hypothesis and so forth. Like I would see the wild Samoans or the road warriors and go, yeah, okay, they're savage or they're scary or whatever. And then that was kind of, that's where it started and stopped. 
So in my little kid's brain, I'm thinking, of, well, the wild Simones are just going to go back to the jungle after this, or the or the uh, road warriors are going to go back back to like Mad Max area, wherever the fuck that was. And then with Jake, I was always just so curious, like, where does this dude go when he leaves the, the arena? Like, I was just so icked out by him, like he just had my brain asking a million questions. And then, uh, lo and behold, just like Edge, you know, got to, uh, you know, meet his idol, work with his idol, tag team champion with his idol, you know, all this stuff. I got to do kind of the same thing with Jake. So, like, I mean, to this day, Jake and I are, are super tight. He's one of my absolute best pals ever. And, uh, when we met, it was, it was very silly and it was weird and whatever. And our relationship just developed over time. And now he's, um, he's family. Yeah, I know you uh, had a long time with uh, Jake the Snake, of course. Uh, you know, very strong bond with them. Like you said, your childhood was, he pretty much was a hook for you to get into wrestling. Um, Absolutely. Of course, I, yeah. And I know you have an academy with him. How is it uh, working with him on that? Uh, it's awesome. Um, you know, around around the ringside, like when he's coaching or even on a show, if he, you know, guys start asking him questions, he starts kind of helping produce or agent ideas or explain ideas. You know, he's a big, scary guy, and he's a very intimidating guy to, to talk with if you don't really know him. And on top of that, he's in perpetual class clown mode where he just constantly wants to mess with people and, and fuck around and stuff like that. So you just don't know how to really get a bead on him. And uh, But he's a perfectionist in the ring, and, and he's got that old school, you know, where, like, you know, he'd bark at you, and, and you know, that's that's fine. I mean, that's how I was taught. That's how just about every wrestler you're watching on TV was taught. But, you know, everything just gets a little gentler in, in every kind of generation and so forth. And, you know, it's like I'm not a back in my day guy, but like back in my day, man, we trained pretty damn hard. And, um, you know, I find to this day, like at seminars or at my own school or whatever, just with this, this modern day landscape, I kind of I find myself saying a lot of like, OK, do you guys understand? Do you know what I mean? Uh, if you if you don't understand, I'll try to rephrase it. Or are you guys getting this? Are you guys OK? You know, uh, no coaches ever asked me those questions when I was younger. Like, get up, you fuck, move around, do this, get fucking moving, blah blah blah. blah. You know, so <laughs> it just it was a different, different time. You know, and and some of us will kind of joke like, hey, we turned out just fine, even though we were, you know, we were, you know, put through the ringer. Um, I think it just kind of toughens you up. But again, you have to sort of adapt with the times and you know, teach accordingly and so forth. And I, I've been very lucky to, I mean, I want to say I've done seminars and helped teach at most of the most reputable schools in the world. Like just a couple months ago, I think, you know, um, I, in, in a one month span, I was at teaching at Ricky Morton school at Dr. Tom school at Al Snow school and at Gangrel school, let alone my school with Jake and, and D'Lo and Kenny King and, and so forth. So I think, uh, my, my coaching pedigree has is, is become pretty good, not to mention coaching in, in Orlando a little bit. And hopefully uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, I don't want to jinx anything, but uh, it's an awesome place, and I definitely want to be down there. And um, But, yeah, I mean, if the, the, the biggest company in the world would trust me to coach their guys. So hopefully that means maybe I know a thing or two, and hopefully, you know, knowledge is, uh, is power. So hopefully, um, you know, giving these – new generations of, of uh, guys and girls and everyone in between, you know, the stuff that we all learned hard way along the road. And then hopefully then they, they don't make those same mistakes we did. And then they make their own new mistakes in this new landscape and, and so forth. And so there you go. 
Yeah, pretty much. You know, he's he's a world class Hall of Famer, like you said. He's been all around the globe. You know, obviously a big icon in the '90s, and like you said, as a kid, you know, he like you said, it was like, where does this guy go? You know, because this game obviously, you know, was coming out with the snake, of course. You know, and it was petrifying for many. I would ask him so many, you know, different questions, and I would just bug him and bug him and bug him, and and again, I was just telling somebody this the other day, like you know, a while back, Raven and I uh, went and had dinner, and. um you know, great guy, super talented guy. And we're talking, and he's just like, he goes, you know, I was mean to you when we were younger because, uh, you know, I was just, uh, A, I was in a bad place. And and, and uh, he goes, but man, he goes, to be honest, I'm really quite jealous because you, you've spent time with Jake more so than just about anybody else. And I'm the biggest Jake Mark in the world, and I never really got to do that. And he's like, you've turned out to be such a clever performer and a clever coach, and I'm very proud of you. Um, he goes, but you don't, do you realize that you are literally – the guy that's walking around this planet with so much of Jake's knowledge from his mouth to your ears. Like you're basically a, a two arm, two legged portable hard drive of Jake knowledge, not to mention what you've figured out on your own or within the ring with other, you know, legends and stuff. And I kind of thought about it. I'm like, well, I, I kind of look at myself, not like Joker because I wear clown paint, but I kind of look at myself more like Ultron to give you a really nerdy example. Like I feel like, you know, I, I was, built in part in a wrestling school. And then I went out and about and traveled and just accrued knowledge after knowledge after knowledge and just kind of came back to this crazy uh, evil force to be reckoned with, you know? So good guy or bad guy, I know my shit and I'm going to, I'm going to hook you really good if you're not watching and I'm not going to fall for a, a dive from a mile away and all that stuff. Like I'm a pretty slick dude and uh, having uh, so many of those Jake isms, you know, kind of, stuck in my skull yeah again combo plattered with what i've learned elsewhere you know i guess that does make me a pretty knowledgeable guy but i mean i remember sitting on jake's couch um and he would you know he'd pop in videotapes like vhs tapes of him and steamboat him versus rude him versus dibiase and he would just play and pause and pause and play and say brother this is what i was thinking here this is why i did this this is why i did this and stuff like that. I mean, the knowledge he gave me was so sneaky, so genius. I'm like, well, son of a bitch. You know, like, that's some really clever stuff. And, I mean, he is. He's probably one of the most, if not the most cleverest, sneakiest wrestler ever, you know. Like, he's just, he's got sneaky tricks for days. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was amazing to learn from him. And I still do. Every, every time I talk to him, I learn something. I try to learn something from everybody just in life every day. But when I talk to him, there's not a, it's not a phone conversation. There's not a sit down at a meal. There's not a whatever that I don't learn something from him. Yeah. It must be a true honor to work with him. You know, just like you said, just his work ethic is right at the top. He just teaches you everything you learn every day with him, especially still nowadays, he's still going on, you know, on AEW programming and it's just, you know, crazy that at this age he still has the promo work and he's obviously helping the minor stars getting up. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a crazy athlete. He's been around for the ages and still going on. For sure. And it was very smart of AEW to put him with Lance, uh, really for the main reason of like, if he's going to be the manager, like he's in his mid sixties. So it's not like he's going to go out there and have, you know, the, the physical capability of, of hanging with a 20 or 30 or, or even a 40 year old, 
you know, physically, but he's such a scary presence, such a believable, credible presence that as a manager, that makes perfect sense. Like when I was a little kid and I saw Freddie Blassie, I only knew him as this manager. He looked like he was really old. I didn't even, my little kid brain never even supposed for a second that he was a wrestler, let alone he was a scary wrestler. He was like the scourge of Japan. And he was like the very first like wrestler that kind of did like the vampire gimmick, like his teeth were filed. And he was like this blonde vampire, kind of like, you know, like the turn of the century version of Gangrel. And, uh, but I didn't know that as a kid. I just saw this sort of business guy in like a sparkly suit managing Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. So for the young kids that are tuning into AEW and they're just seeing Jake for the first time, they're probably seeing what I saw. They're seeing this scary wrestling manager, you know, who's very believable and, and so forth and not realizing what a body of work this guy brings to wrestling's, you know, history. And uh, for any of the young guys and girls to go down the rabbit hole and go watch some of those matches would behoove them big time. Oh, yeah, and I know I'm speaking. Sorry, I got one, one little thing. The reason oh, go right ahead. Sorry, the reason mm-hmm. I, I get dropped in my head for a living, so I go off on tangents and I almost forget the, the question. I'll just keep on bullshitting. <laughs> I somehow re, re, re- <laughs> to where I was supposed to go. Uh, but I, I mentioned Lance, A, because Lance is awesome, first off. Like, uh, just so good. But it's also, I want to say he's just a fraction of a hair of an inch taller than Jake. So as, as Jake assuming the role of manager, it would it would make just about any wrestler these days look like a little person just standing next to him. Like I'm just shy of six two, and I look like a freaking member of the Lollipop Guild standing next to him. Like he's six foot six 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 barefoot at at least. Like he's somewhere between six 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 seven. Um, so when you stand next to him, you feel like you're in kindergarten. And if you're supposed to be this big scary wrestler or awesome whatever wrestler. You're going to look like a child next to him. So just on Lance's height alone, it, that was a smart play to put him with uh, with Lance. Oh, and yeah, also it was a very Jake good transition pairing him up. Yeah, for sure. And Jake is just such a, uh, a dominant presence, like a, a guy that's so interesting to look at as Lance and so big and, uh, and larger than life. You know, it's very hard to not be overshadowed if you're going to walk to the ring next to Jake. Like when, no offense to Tully Blanchard, I think Tully Blanchard is one of the greatest wrestlers ever. But he's this smaller dude that's not so visually dominant. Like Tully's work was, you know, his his, his genius was in the ring, how he, he could work in and out of, you know, the, the different bits of psychology throughout the match. And he was always awesome, but he wasn't some huge, daunting, impressive physical specimen where Jake is just, again, he's over six, six scary looking. Like he's just a lot to look at, you know? And so, and Sean Spears is definitely taller than Tully. So it look, looks better as far as the manager, you know, uh, not dwarfing the talent he's repping. So there's that. But anyway. Yeah. I mean, Lance and him was a good pairing. Of course, like you said, Practically like standing like a giant compared to all the other wrestlers, it's working the gimmick flawlessly, you know, making him look like a monster. Uh, speaking of Lance, of course, he obviously had a WWE run. Uh, let's talk about your time in WWE and your odd, uh, odd disappearance of just random disappearance and departure. Okay. Um, um, of course, you were filming promos and, you know, I believe you debuted on, uh, what was it? Two, I believe 2009. 
and her debut match against MVP, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that is true. Um, so we filmed all those vignettes in one day, and Vince's direction was just get as much weird circus stunts and things that you can in the can, and then we'll sort through it, see what we got. So I said, okay. So I did that, and then, but 90% of the stuff that I could do was pretty ornery, pretty intense, scary stuff. And Vince really wanted me to be a babyface, like a super duper babyface. Like, um, which is fine. I was ready for that challenge. I wanted, I wasn't, no, I was emotionally willing to take that challenge. I think work at my experience level, I was 99% always a heel. So I'm like, okay, I'll definitely, I'm up for the challenge. I want to, I want to, you know, make Vince happy. I want to make the audience happy. And I want to, you know, make myself happy. And I just kind of thought about it like, well, the sheep herders were super duper scary. And then when they went to Vince, then Vince turned them into these super duper baby faces, like just a complete about face with the same characters. So I kind of tried to look at myself like that. I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn what is a pretty scary character into a very PG baby face. You know, that's what the boss wants. And it's not necessarily what I wanted, but just trying to be a good soldier and be respectful of what Vince wanted and what the company that I grew up loving and admiring wanted. I wanted, didn't want to disappoint. So, uh, we filmed all this stuff and then Vince was like, I can't use half this shit <laughs> because you're going to give everybody fucking nightmares, you know? So what they ended up doing was they used mostly B roll of the other performers that were on the midway that day. Uh, a lot of which I'm still good buddies to this day. Uh, like a shout out to my, my, uh, my buddy, uh, Tommy, uh, awesome performer. He's sort of the, the legacy runner of the world of wonders. Um, since, uh, Ward Hall, uh, passed away, rest his soul, who was a, a circus icon. Um, Tommy Breen. Um, but anyway, uh, so a lot of the local performers that were on just on the payroll that day, um, were doing stuff like, there was the sword swallower and there was like a guy that had the bowling ball earrings and stuff like that. And there was like a little, little person, a uh, little Pete uh, who was doing the fire and stuff like that. So they just, the, the, that stuff to Vince was a lot safer than some of the stuff that I did. So I'm really ended up kind of standing there saying my name and then they would cut to another performer doing something that wasn't as scary as some of the stuff that I would do. And then I come back to me and I say my name again. And I'm like, okay, you know, my brain is not thinking this is going to be the greatest idea, but the good soldier in me is trying to, you know, be a team player and, and all that stuff. And I still am a team player, but I think now I would politely voice up if I felt like I could contribute something a little bit different or maybe take something in a different path. And again, if a promoter liked it, then great. But if a promoter didn't like my idea, you know, they're the one, they're the boss, they're signing the checks. I'll, I'll do it the way they want to do it. But I would have the, the humble confidence to say, Thank you very much for this opportunity. I appreciate this idea, but what do you think about this? And if they liked it, awesome. If they didn't like it, maybe we find something that meets halfway or they stood fast to their original idea and then that's that, but not for lack of effort. So, um, so what you saw was there was a couple things, like I put my hand in that wolf trap is one thing that they, they squeaked, squeaked through, but they didn't do like any of the human dartboard stuff where I'm getting darts thrown at me and I'm selling it like crazy or the electric chair where I'm selling it like crazy. And they took one clip where it looks like I'm eating fire, but really it's, uh, it's not. If you look and you see that there's no fire and then there is fire as opposed to there's fire and then I, I put it out with my, with my mouth. What, what hap happened was, uh, 
I was in the electric chair and they did a tight shot of my face where electricity, legit electricity is coursing through my body and they hold up an unlit gasoline soaked torch to my tongue and electricity from my tongue lights the torch. So they did, they, they muted the sound because I'm still making this horrific, you know, yelling, screaming noise and they, they zoomed in where you couldn't see the electric chair and all you see is what looks like me eating fire where I'm really, I'm not, I'm creating fire. But uh, so much stuff like that, they couldn't show any of it. Um, and again, it was, just, it was just a different time and era. era. Like I think these days I, I've heard a lot of, like, oh man, what you're doing now, that would have got over so good, you know, back then or whatever, whatever. I'm like, well, I appreciate that. It just was, uh, I think my, my timing of, of what I was put with was just uh, maybe not the best. So maybe if I, what I was doing now, you know, if I was doing now, then, or, or, or if I had that same opportunity now, I would be a very different performer. And there you go. But, but I'm a big bet. I'm a big boy. I can make my bed and sleep in it. Man, that's absolutely insane. I can't believe that <laughs> you actually had to sit through that shit, electric chair and everything like that. Um, it, it's kind of ironic that, that he wouldn't use any of that stuff, yet we see the fiend today. Well, I, I mean, I get compared with, uh, like, so. I've got my fingerprints on a lot of the modern wrestlers, whether I help break them in, help train them, um, have their first handful of matches, or just help them out, give them tips and advice. Uh, I didn't train Bray Wyatt, but I did give him some tips. You know, he would always ask questions, always being a student of the game. So I definitely uh, helped influence him. And there's a lot of guys that are like that, like uh, from Crazy Steve to Karrion Cross, you know, right across the board, uh, just so many of those sort of monstrous characters we're all dudes that uh, spent time with me. So I'm flattered that, uh, you know, Bray Wyatt is doing so well. It's certainly his, it's his own creativity, but I definitely did answer a few questions and, and, uh, and um, hopefully set his mind in a certain direction. Um, you know, you can, you can see a lot of influence in, in, in different characters along the way, you know, like uh, my good buddy Gangrel is known for that patented corkscrew elbow that he affectionately sort of, you know, took from somebody he looked up to in Muda and so forth. Like everybody, you know, creatively borrows and makes it their own. And, and I think, uh, Bray Wyatt and, and again, I was one of my students from my, my school here in, in Vegas, Carrying Cross, great guy. He looks and moves nothing like I do, but he's a creepy guy. And, and, you know, he's definitely spent time, uh, talking psychology with me and asking questions and, and, you know, training and so forth. And I want to say I, I had one of his very first, if not his first match, um, first or second match, you know, just babysitting him in a tag team while he was figuring out how to kind of get his feet wet and stuff like that. Um, and he's, he's a wonderful performer. He's a great guy. Uh, Crazy Steve. Uh, Crazy Steve is an absolute class act. I remember getting a phone call from him the first time he was getting an opportunity at TNA. And... He said, uh, he called me, he didn't text me, he called me so I could hear his voice. And he said, uh, hey man, I just want you to know, I got a, I got a gig at, at uh, Impact and they basically want me to be you and I won't do it if that offends you. And I said, of course I want you to go have a successful, uh, fun adventure at Impact. Of course you have my blessing. Of course go do that stuff. But for him to say that, and, uh, it just, to me, just such a classy, classy guy. And, and, uh, 
he was just like, I don't know if you even realize this or remember this. He goes, but you gave me my first big payday and you're the first guy to ever put me, book me in the ring with, uh, people that I looked up to and, and people that I watched as a kid. Like I, I booked him, uh, on a show. Like I, me and Eric Young helped train Crazy Street. And, uh, I booked him on this show where he was tagging with Kamala against the Highlanders and, uh, Jimmy Hart. So he was just like tickled pink. And he painted his belly up kind of like in a funny version of Kamala. Like he had these funny, like a sunny, a happy face, like a happy sun, sunny face and clouds on his chest instead of the moon and the stars. And um, I remember him having so much fun, but there was just a lot of going on on that show and a lot of performers that I had to help, you know, juggle and produce. And he was just like, man, I just want you to know, like I never forgot you were the guy that gave me my first kind of real pay and really took a chance on me. And I just wanted to thank you. And I just, it felt like it was just such a compliment, such a, like such kind of a feel good thing for me. Like it just, I cannot put it to words. So when I see these guys doing well, it just makes me kind of like a proud Papa. And I'm just happy to see, happy to see it go. And obviously my, my dog cookie is happy to see it too. Cause she's growling at everybody that my wife just got home. <laughs> not, a pro- not a problem man yeah i mean that that's awesome my, dude my little fluffy dogs are assholes so i'm surprised they haven't barked as much as um, they'll probably bark at any moment especially because they've been quiet all of a sudden and murphy's law is gonna so as soon as i mentioned it as soon as i said something about it they're gonna they're gonna start squawking but <laughs> i digress um la- last question about the the whole wwe run when when you were when you were there and they came up with the name, did you have any um, creative freedom with it, or was that all them? So okay, so um, when I had my sit down with Vince, um, and he's asking me, you know, he's asking me about myself and all this stuff, and I'm telling him, you know, what what I had done. I was a legit circus strongman. I was a legit sideshow freak. But I was trying to again. I wasn't some some bonehead that just went to the mall and got painted up and like, look, I'm a scary wrestling monster. You know, like I'm a legit circus strongman. I'm a legit, uh, uh, pain threshold, uh, like sideshow geeks. Geek magician is, is a term for it and so forth. I was a legit bar fighter, a tournament fighter. I did all this weird stuff, uh, bodyguard, all these different things. So me putting the clown paint on, I'm not some outrageous over the top, unbelievable character. I'm the shoot version of that character. I can do all those things. I can bend iron bars in my teeth and drink boiling water and thumbtacks and get darts thrown at me without a spine guard and, and, and in my chest and my belly and my back. You know, I can do all sorts of weird shit. Um, so that is really uh, me. But when I was trying to explain it to Vince, I used the words that I never ever usually were used. I just used the words carnival a lot because I figured – well, pro wrestling came for the carnival. He full well knows that. And I always heard that he enjoyed sideshow and circus stuff and carnival stuff. So I was just trying to kind of speak to him in maybe a language that he would maybe best decipher. So instead of saying a whole lot of sideshow and a whole lot of uh, freak show and stuff like that, I used the word carnival. And the next day, um, so this was at an unforgiven pay-per-view. And the next day at uh, Raw, he comes up to me and um, – and says, Hey, I've been thinking about it. And, uh, he goes, uh, he goes, do you speak Carney? And I said, yes, this is like his And he <laughs> said, well, well, good. He goes, you're going to be Kazarni. And he looked around like it's like, like a big secret. Like for, he didn't want to tell anybody else just yet. <laughs> he looked around for like, cause we're at ringside and all the other, all the other guys are jumping around, you know, training and doing whatever. 
And um, he goes, uh, you're going to be Kazarni. It's Carney for Carney. You get it? And I'm like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, that's the good so, old Vince logic. <laughs> that's right. And so, and so, I mean, again, he is the boss. You know, it's his idea. And he's given so many guys different ideas. So, you know, it, I, I wasn't a giant fan of it, um, the name, but I was certainly uh, the inner WWF loving child trapped in my you know, 30 year old body at the time was like tickle pink. I'm like, I'm going to fucking make this work. Whether I think this name is, is whatever I'm going to be a good little soldier. Like Ron Hutchinson originally taught me, like he's just like, you do what the promoters say you, you you be a good soldier. You, you do what you're told and all this stuff, you know? And that was, that was the ideology I was taught. So that's what I did. I'm like, yes, sir. I'm I'm ready to do it. And, you know, I I don't think that was the the best name in, in, wrestling history, but it was the cards that I was dealt and I was going to play it as best as I could. Now, visually, that was me. I chose to look like that. They actually wanted me to dress all in black. They wanted me to wear black jeans or black leggings or something. And I said, well, I just had this new stuff made. Why don't you just take a look at this? Just because I had it made. And if you like it, great. And if you don't like it, I'll, I'll wear whatever the heck you want. And so they liked it. So they approved it. So like what I was, what you saw me wearing, um, was what I had designed. It just, the name was not my pick. And they actually had asked me to like, think of a list of different names. Um, nothing of which I came up with that I thought was very good. Like I, I have a couple of names in my back of my head that woulda, shoulda, coulda, that I like better than Sinbodi. And I certainly like that better than Kazarni, but I'm Sinbodi now. I've got a Sinbodi for the long haul. So unless I was to, you know, pop up at a new company that wanted me to have a new name, then I could implement half dozen names that I have in my back pocket, but, uh, and all well thought out names too. Um, which maybe we could talk about and then, you know, we'll just see uh, where I wind up and we'll see what name I end up coming through the curtain with. But, uh, but I did, I, I came up with a handful of names and then, um, that just never, ever, those names never entered the conversation. It was just like, uh, this is what you're going to be. And I said, okay, yes, sir. And that was that. Well, I think a lot of this stuff too is, is all attitude, right? I mean, like you said, you, you know, you played the, the hand that you were dealt and instead of, you know, being pissy about it or anything like that, you, you worked it over, man. You, you did your best to, to make do with what you had and you had a good attitude about it. And I think that, um, a lot of the times when wrestlers are dealt that hand, um, if they have a good attitude about it, it's going to get over and think, it's going to do well. And, well, and so what had happened was, so again, we filmed all those vignettes in one day. So I wasn't there. You know, I was still in Florida. I, I, we filmed that like up in, uh, I want to say Pennsylvania or something. Um, but again, it was just for the one day. And then, um, as the vignettes started airing, I, I did a, a ton of live events. So, uh, and, and weirdly, I was never like the, the first match. Like I was never like the open of the show or, or a dark match or anything like on live events. Not that there's live, I guess not dark match on live events, but just, I was never like the curtain jerk match. I was always stuffed somewhere in the middle. And again, I was just this indie guy that nobody knew except for a couple of these vignettes. And I'm on a card full of big show, Sheldon Benjamin, uh, Edge and Christian, Hardy Boys, Triple H, Undertaker. And I, little old me is stuck right in the fucking middle of all of it. 
And I just thought, <laughs> all right, I've, I can work. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to bust my ass. And um, every time I, I can't say, maybe, I don't know, I want to say 40, 50, 60, whatever it was, however many live events I did across the, the country, um, it was usually me and MVP or uh, Chavo or uh, maybe uh, Brian Myers or uh, Ryan Braddock, um, a couple other guys like that, but mo- mostly MVP. And uh, usually at the end of uh, Eric Escobar, usually at the end of the matches, we would get a really great response, like, you know, because we would have to build and earn that spot on a star studded show. And every time I'd come through the curtain, the, whoever my agent was that night, whether it was IRS or Malenko or um, Arn Anderson or somebody, you know, they'd always say, great job. That was awesome. Way to go. And uh, so I don't think it was like lack of work rate or anything like that. I think I just, I got cut really quick, you know, for whatever reason, I really couldn't tell you to this day. I don't have any closure on that. I have no idea. Like I can, I can make guesses, but that's exactly what they would be like. Nothing substantial. Um, but I've always stayed in their, their good books. Like I'm not some crazy asshole in real life that gets himself in trouble and does all sorts of dumb stuff for whatever. At least not too, too dumb. Um, you know, but like I've, 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 coached for them since then, you know, uh, several times. And hopefully, you know, if I have it my way, I'll, I'll do more uh, as this, hopefully too, as this pandemic subsides, I have no idea what will happen. You just, you never know in this business what will happen. But uh, if I have it my way, uh, I'll be coaching um, in Florida. And so, you know, I'm in good, good graces with them. So again, they would always like the agents would always give me good reviews. Um, they're always like, well, the fans like you, uh, the wrestlers like you, the agents like you. So, and then next thing you know, I was cut. So, you know, it could have been budget. It could have been whatever. You just, you don't know. Well, I've, I've, I've always heard nothing but great things about you, man. And I've met you a couple of times and you were, I actually have this photo where I was taking, I think I was taking a photo with this independent wrestler named bat boy. And you have like the greatest photo bomb in history. And I'm going to have to tag you in that shit. One of these days, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're all painted up and everything. I it, it's 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 great, man. It's one of the best photo bombs I've ever seen. Oh, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, man. I mean, it's it's crazy to think that we have so many different promotions nowadays. And and if you do go and coach in Florida, that would be amazing. But this is um, this this next one's sort of a two parter. Um, if you ever had the opportunity to go to a place like AEW, would you go? And what? Um, what name would you use if you, if you had the opportunity to switch it up from Sin Bodhi to something else? Um, well, uh, I, I would have no problems wrestling for any company, AEW or otherwise. Um, again, I, I'm not, I'm not old, but I'm not young. So I think, you know, I would want to do anything that would jeopardize the opportunity to coach for many years in Florida. And if that was an option, I, I would love to do that. But uh, as far as the wrestler in me, the performer in me, of course, I would want to wrestle and on the biggest stage I could. And if I wasn't allowed to wrestle at uh, one, I would certainly love to wrestle at the other. I think they're, they're both awesome. Um, I think they both have very different things to offer, very great things to offer. Uh, the fans, the wrestlers, uh, you know, there's just so much potential for creativity on both companies. I think both companies are very different and I would attack things differently if I was to perform or coach at either of those companies. Um, 
I think, I mean, I don't want to ruffle any feathers or anything, but I think as far as, as monsters go at AEW, I think I would stand out. I think, I think I would trump any monsters they have to throw out there. I think I could definitely fill that niche comfortably. So, cause again, I'm not some buffoon. I'm not some thought out caveman. You know, I'm not a class clown. You know, I'm in clown paint that is often referred to as like quite disturbing and quite, you know, unnerving to grown ass men that I see in the locker. Like, I can't even look at you, Bodie. You know, like, I just can't make eye contact with you. You're freaking me out with that contact and, and your face paint just as icky as hell. And, you know, I'm not a little dude, but a pretty big dude. You know, I'm about 245 pounds. So I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a shrimp. And, uh, I, the way I work and I work very safe, but I work very aggressive. And I, I'm not a high flyer. I'm my, my high flying is kind of in the way of old school bumps. Like I could definitely put over my, my baby faces by taking big bumps for those baby faces, but I'm really not going to dive on anybody anytime soon. I, I don't think I can even spell moonsault. I think there's maybe a seven in there. Maybe <laughs> you know, um, and so forth. But, uh, but I can, I, I'm smart enough to know what I can do very athletically and I'm smart enough to know what I can't. And I think, um, again, I am not a, a gimmick or, a, you know, I, I hate hearing, I, I don't hate hearing that. Um, I just, I kind of have to giggle at it like, oh, I like your gimmick. Like, yeah, what gimmick? You know, like, it's <laughs> like, totally me. You know, I have these, ta- this, my skull covered in tattoos does not wash off. It is not Crayola. I don't put it on every time I go to wrestle. Like, that's how I go to the grocery store. That's how I go to the gym. That's how I go hiking. That's how I do whatever I do. You know, um, I think uh, I humbly would say I passed that airport test. You know, I'm somebody interesting to look at. And I, I get a, I get a lot of those kind of questions like, what are you? Who are you? You know, even if, if people know, then awesome. If they don't know, I get, what are you? Constantly. <laughs> and so I think like I bring that to the table, you know, comboed with again, I am literally a two-legged portable hard drive with Jake the Snake's knowledge and plenty of others. Like I want to say again, you know, at both AEW or WWE or impact or ROH, I want to say, um, I probably collectively worked more wrestling legends from like the eighties, uh, than just about those entire rosters put together. Like, I can't think, I can't imagine like, of course, you know, guys like Ziggler and, and, and who I've been in the ring with plenty, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, they have awesome experience with awesome wrestlers on the biggest show in the world. But I don't know that they've logged as much old school ring time, you know, learning some of those lost art tricks uh, in the way that I have. Like I help break in a lot of those guys and we cut our teeth with each other when, you know, I might have had maybe a tad more experience than some of those guys when we did stuff, but I brought certain tricks to the table that I just knew they never had the opportunity to learn from a, you know, Rock and Roll Express or from a King Kong Bundy or from a Jerry Lawler or from a Road Warriors or Steiners and, uh, you know, so forth. All these guys that I've been in the ring with and just learned sneaky little lost art tricks of the trade. So I, as a performer and as a coach, I bring a lot of that stuff to the table. So I think like, okay, well, whether you want me to wrestle uh, Marco Stunt or uh, Lance Archer and anything in between at, at AEW, or you want me to wrestle Drew McIntyre or uh, Drew Gulak uh, at, uh, at WWE, okay, well, I can accommodate any of those guys. Like, there's, there's not a dude on TV that I, 
I couldn't go toe to toe with, you know, psychology wise, I'm young enough that I can, I, I don't blow up. Like I'm in freaking kooky, ridiculous ring shape. Like I don't blow up. And if, for people that don't understand what that means, it means I don't get winded. Like my ring cardio is ridiculous. Like I make young guys barf all the time. <laughs> you know, like I can't breathe. Okay, can we just? Could you grab a hold? I'm like, no, nah, we gotta work. Come on, get up. Or I'll give them a break and I'll, I'll let them puke on themselves and I'll keep on grabbing them and working on stuff and whatever. And uh, I'm very gentle, I'm very professional, but I mean, I, I can go. So you know, whichever company, um, you know, the uh, the the wrestling universe has in store for me, um, I'll be happy to do it. I just I just love wrestling. Yeah, pretty much, you know, to be in this company, you have to have the heart in it. You have to be dedicated. And that's what I'm hearing from you. You're being very humble, of course, from Jake's acknowledgement. You know, you've worked so much in this industry and you've been all over the world, different promotions. Um, I was going to ask, what were your favorite matches that you can think of that you that just ring in your head? Uh, well, I'd have to say, you know, again, traveled a lot, been in the ring with a lot of different people and had a lot of different fun. Um, weirdly, I've told this a couple, couple times, but weirdly, uh, and it's on, it's on YouTube somewhere. It's not mechanically the greatest match, but spiritually it was very special to me where we did some fantasy camp wrestling matches where it's exactly that. Like, you know, if you're, you know, a rock and roll fantasy camp or baseball fantasy camp or whatever, it's exactly what we did with a wrestling fantasy camp. So, you know, we would get people that, you know, may or may not have been athletes, may or may not have any business being near a ring. You know, it could have been a 60-year-old lawyer or a 50-year-old plumber or a whatever, whatever. Um, you know, we would safely, you know, coach you through a, a day or two of wrestling or a half day or a three day or whatever you signed up for. And then I would get in the ring with you and or or one one of the, you know, uh, we bring in somebody like a Gangrel or a Ricky Steamboat or a D'Lo or a Sabu or somebody. And like I would coach for the first couple of days and then I would hand them off to that star to, you know, walk through a very safe, easy match. And then the fan would get the, the bragging rights of this video and, you know, get to kind of do their thing against whichever wrestler. And I, I did a bunch of those where I did the actual matches as well. And so one day there was this young man who came all the way across the pond just to do this all the way from England. And he was, he had like uh, autism. And he, his mother brought him and he looked like he was about 40, but he, I want to say he was early twenties and he had such a thick scouse like Liverpool accent. It was so hard to even understand his, uh, verbiage, let alone, you know, um, figure out his situation. And, and like, respectfully, I'm just trying to, I'm thinking on my feet, like I'm thinking, you know, I'm no doctor. Uh, I don't know much about autism. I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard that. Autistic people are not big fans of uh, physical contact. So I'm thinking, all right, how the hell am I going to get around this? So, you know, I was patient with him. I tried to kind of joke with him and show him some simple things where it would, he could like close line me. All he had to do is just stick his arm out. I'll never even barely like by the time his, the baby hairs of his arm would like touch my chest, I would take this big bump for him. So like he would endure zero impact. I would be the human basketball and, you know, I'd sell for him and do all this stuff and whatever. And so we did a half day camp with this young man and we did a whole match. So there's the full match and everything with a little highlight of his training on YouTube. If you look for it, just type in, uh, uh, Sinbodi, uh, versus 
Tiger, I think it is. We call him Tiger. And, um, and, or maybe type in, type in fantasy camp if you want or something like that, but just type in Simbodi versus Tiger and I'm sure it'll pop up. And, um, so I take this kid after he's never been in a ring a day in his life, has no physical business being in a ring. Um, but again, it was a fantasy camp and he was there to live out his fantasy and, you know, put his hard money, hard, hard earned money down. His mom, uh, I want to say it was a birthday present. Karen, was it his birthday present? Yeah. Uh, the Tony, the tiger guy that uh, did the, the oh, fantasy camp. They from, they came all the way from yeah, they came all the way from England. So I think, I think it was maybe a birthday present from his mom. So anyway, um, so, so we do, we do the, the match. And I told him, I said, just don't worry. I said, like, you know, we're filming it. And if, if something doesn't go so well, we can, we can do a little take two and I'll edit it out. We never had to do that at all. Everything was just from start to stop. And he was so sweet. He was such a nice guy. The first time I took a bump, like you can actually see in the match where he either tackle me or clothesline me. I can't remember. And he even kind of cringes as I crash and burn on the mat and make a big, you know, growly selling noise or whatever. And I'm like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'm good. I'm good. And, uh, I'm like, don't worry. Every time you hear me kind of barking and whatever, I'm just, I'm just playing. And, uh, and after the, the, the match was over, his mom came over to me like teary eyed and said, um, you know, you got more physical contact out of him in two and a half hours than, uh, his therapist has in the last two years. And she was like teary eyed about it. And so I was really proud of that. And then, uh, so after we had sent them the, 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 uh, edited video and everything. And I said, I hope you guys liked it. It was nice meeting you guys. And she had told me in the email, she's like, that was his favorite day ever, like on planet earth. So I'm like, wait a second. You're telling me that little old me, you know, taking this kid through a kind of a pseudo wrestling match was his, uh, like I was responsible for somebody's favorite day ever. Like, I'll take that. Like that's where, you know, our job is to not do suplexes and clotheslines and dives and eye gouges. Our job is are to put smiles on faces. And if I supplied somebody with a favorite day on planet Earth, I'll take that shit. That's amazing, dude. Yeah, I have major respect for that. Of course, I have a little brother with autism, so I know the challenges with that. And that just got my heart beating for that. That's just very, you know, humble of you to do that. And, of course, you know, with the mother tearing up, um, just living out his dream and, even going two hours with physical activity and, you know, that, that his therapist can't get that. That's major respect. I really appreciate that. Um, coming from someone that has someone in the family that has autism. I, of course, the challenges are huge and I really appreciate that. No, it was, it was so flattering. It was so fulfilling. It was just so cool, you know, and, and of course, like, you know, as far as, as far as wrestling matches go, yeah, I may have had a, a match or two that was, uh, you know, uh, technically better or, or, or whatnot, but it just the emotional impact of that match was, that's definitely why that is my favorite match ever. You know, um, I wrestled Gangrel so many times, tagged with him and wrestled him. I've done so many mean things to Gangrel. It's not even funny. Um, <laughs> probably, probably my, my favorite opponent, a very good brother of mine, but I would definitely have to say the young man from England is spiritually my favorite match ever. Yeah, major respects for that. Um, of course, I know you're still wrestling to this day. Uh, I believe you're a black belt in martial arts. Uh, how did that come apart? Was that before wrestling? Or was that during wrestling? Uh, it was before wrestling. I mean, I still like I, I I practice, but I don't like I don't go to any certain dojos or whatever. I just that's just how I keep myself in shape. That's how I stretch. 
some of how I exercise. Um, but I was just a, 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 from like being a little boy, like my parents, my dad was a ranked fighter when I was a kid. My mom had a dojo and a, like a fitness center. Um, my mom's fitness center is the first place me and Edge and Christian ever started working out when we were little teeny boppers. Um, so I just, I learned from a very young age and, uh, and then just eventually I just kind of want, I just kind of cashed in my, my black belt for uh, spandex and that was all she wrote. I just, the, the, the inner hippie in me, like I'm way more Miyagi Do over Cobra Kai. Like I, I would never start a fight. I, I would just finish a fight. And I just was always taught like that. And I just thought like, I don't want to clobber people for real as much as, as much as, you know, what I was physically trained to do or what, what my jobs were. Like I was a bodyguard, I was a bouncer, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and a lot of, and a lot of places too. And, you know, just, so just to try to be as safe as possible. Like I never, beat up anybody if I had to bounce them out of a bar. I would always tie them into a knot. Very rarely did I ever, you know, unload some knuckle sandwiches on somebody. Like, if that was a last resort, if I thought this person is just too big or too whatever that I, I can't get my hands on them and, and stretch them into a hold and walk them out, you know, like, I never wanted to hurt anybody. And weirdly, at, like, some some dojos or whatever, we would train. Like, my dad is, like, a super-duper high-end, like, multi-level um, – multiple black belts, all this stuff. He was a ranked fighter when I was a kid and all this oh, stuff. And, um, and like when I, when I trained, like I didn't just go to the local family karate. Like I was like that little kid running around at karate tournaments with like Chuck Norris and Benny the jet and all these different <laughs> awesome, uh, martial artists, super foot Wallace and all these guys and Billy blanks <laughs> from the, uh, from the, uh, the, uh, uh, the karate aerobics guy, you know, all that stuff. I remember these guys at tournaments when I was a kid. My dad was like fighting these guys, you know, he's buddies with these dudes. And um, so I just, I just learned respect and just learned that like it was, it was more spiritual, you know, like I think, I think in, in real life, you know, I think the best fighters are the guys that want to fight last. Like that's the last resort. You know, I think any idiot can, can jump to F you really quick. I think it takes kindness and patience to try to walk a mile in each other's shoes and see each other's points of view and so forth. So that's how I perceive martial arts. And, um, dude, anytime I'd ever knock a dude out, like whether it was at a tournament or in a dojo or whatever, like in a small sparring or whatever, a full contact or whatever, I just, I would just feel terrible. You know, I know we both went in there expecting for somebody to get put on their ass, but I just always hated that feeling. And I know as hard hitting as pro wrestling is, at least we are, we're just trying to basically be athletic birthday clowns to put smiles on people's faces. So I didn't mind getting hit. I just didn't like doing the hitting and I'm not a masochistic guy. I don't, I don't enjoy getting hit. I just can endure a hit. So I thought, well, maybe pro wrestling is, I loved it since I was a kid. Maybe this would be a much better way to sort of ride out my martial arts, artsy fartiness, my hippiness, whatever, <laughs> you know, where we could take care of each other, even when the shots were coming in pretty heavy sometimes. Like I think fans would be really surprised as, as hard hitting as some of that stuff can be, you know, even though there's storylines and there are characters and, you know, sometimes to be honest, boys and girls, not to burst any bubbles, but sometimes those enemies are pretty good pals. And and weirdly too, sometimes some of those pals are pretty good enemies. So you, you just <laughs> never really know what you're looking at. But as far as like how my mindset kind of grew up with that martial arts and like martial arts was always sort of my, that was like my, 
disciplinary tool. Like it was my sort of my Zen, my like, it was the closest thing I had to like a religion. And it just really taught me like to be respectful and, and so forth. Like you would never on my worst day, you'd never catch me hitting an animal, hitting a kid, hitting a woman, not on my fucking worst day. Um, not when, when he hit a grown ass dude, if I didn't have to, like I would, if it meant protecting my family or, you know, or if somebody was trying to break into my home or something like that or, or whatever. Um, but I would never choose to, I would just never be like, Hey, I don't like what you're saying. F you, you know, I would never just, <laughs> I'm not that guy. So that's sort of how I kind of viewed it. And, and so I did, I just, I cashed in my black belt for some spandex and, and never looked back. Man, that's, that's phenomenal, dude. You've lived quite the, quite the life, man, in this sports entertainment gig. And not only that, you know, with the cool karate thing and, uh, the, the carnival stuff. I mean, quite a life. I was, wa- thank you. I was watching, uh, <laughs> the uh, third season of, of, uh, uh, Cobra Kai. Fucking phenomenal. Wife. Oh, dude, so good. That and Daredevil was awesome, by the way. Um, yeah. but so me and my wife were giggling at, uh, how the, the, the news and whatever saying, oh, the latest uh, karate attacks <laughs> and all that stuff. And I just made me giggle so bad thinking about like how like martial arts really is. And, and I just kind of just giggled when I heard there, you know, on the, there, you know what I'm talking about from the show where there's just yeah. like, oh, the latest karate to the karate attacks are getting out of hand. And all this. I just, <laughs> it just made me laugh. So bad. It, it's such a fucking good show, man. Such yeah, a good show. Karate attacks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, man, you've, you've wrestled some legends and great stars in this industry, dude. Do you have any like funny stories or any, any cool stories that come to mind with any of the legends that you've wrestled or it, it, it can be from any company or even on the indies? Oh man, that's geez. You got 24 hours for me just to run my guns. Um, I, I got as much time as you got, man. <laughs> I will give you a little bit of time because again, my wife has heard me grandfather the joke this this joke a million times, but I will say I'm afraid of no man or beast, but my wife scares the crap out of me and I'd like to uh, give her some time this evening. So if I, if I spend too much time with you and not enough time with her, then uh, I'm in a doghouse and then that's not a place I want to be. So hey, I don't want to put you there, brother. You take, I appreciate it. you take as little time as you need. I appreciate <laughs> it. She's, she's five foot tall. If she's lucky, her name is Karen. She acts like a, she is a Karen. That is a perfect name for her. <laughs> and she gives me the finger. I think she just told me I'm number one in sign language, but you know, Uh Oh, I think James no. accidentally got kicked out of the chat. Oh, well, who do you ever beat? <laughs> it's all good. Hey, hey, speaking of Karen, actually, didn't she do, uh, she just did, you, you shared a music video a while back. Was that, was that her? That yeah, did that's, that, or? Totally her, that's totally her singing both of those parts. Like she, 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 um, recorded once with another local dude and she just wasn't thrilled with how he did it. So she went back to our buddy's studio and just did this weird, creepy whispering thing to fill in that other part. And then my buddy, uh, Paul, uh, Paul Brady, um, who's another musician, um, really, really great guy. Uh, helped her. Uh, he engineered it and cut. I don't know what the right terms are. I, I'm musically so uninclined. Um, we gotta, we gotta record it. There you go. So they, they, they MacGyvered it at, uh, at Paul's home studio and then, uh, she sent it over to me and I was just like, okay, I have to do something with this. 
And then I kind of thought to make some kind of, again, something similar to like maybe that race from the pit or like the wheel of misfortune. And I just kind of thought, I think this just needs to be a simple family album. I think this is what this needs to be. And I, you know, I've heard her use this term before and I very much feel the same way. So I totally understand what she means. But sometimes like if we would walk into a building together and these, you know, wrestlers would run up and shake my hand and then it would just ignore her. And she's like, what am I fucking invisible? You know? And, and I always go to women my way to make sure like she does not feel like that. And I, I think sometimes career wise, sometimes I feel like that when certain companies pop up and all these different guys and girls get these spots. And then if I get passed by, like nobody owes me shit. So I'm not crying or squawking about it. But at the same time, I'm thinking well, I'm over here. Here I am. Here I am. So I understand the mental baggage of being invisible. And I certainly don't ever want my wife to feel like that. So I thought, well, this is a really awesome song. And instead of making this, into some Sin Bodhi video or whatever. I thought I wanted to showcase her and showcase my family. I was just kind of along for the ride. So when I'm in there is when I'm in there. But really, it was more about uh, the kid and the old lady. Well, shit, dude, that that was fucking phenomenal, man. Thank you. I thought she, I thought she killed that shit. Yeah, she did. Yeah, man. Yeah, so I, I'll go dude, ahead. Dude, I will tell you, like, so doing freak show, so. Uh, freak show wrestling, which we haven't done in quite a while. And again, we can't just also, especially just due to all the pandemic protocols and stuff that here in Nevada. But when we were doing freak show, um, she would help me run the shows and I would flog as much of the adulting of, you know, the real life responsibilities of the show onto her. Like she could show run all by herself. I could just book the talent. I could just book the matches if I wanted to. Like she would run everything. Like she would do the advertising, the ticket sales, the insurance, handle the venue, you know, do all the stuff. And she would gorilla and she would put people in, in makeup and wardrobe because like, it wasn't like wrestlers just showed up and they were them. Like at freak show, you, you're going to be the monkey. You're going to be the astronaut. You're going to be the vampire. You're this, you're that, whatever. So she would handle all this kind of stuff. And like, I knew she was a singer. I know she, I knew she could sing. And we had singers on the show plenty. Like we'd have magicians, sideshow performers, burlesque performers, comedians, you know, whatever, bands. But somehow we just never – she was just always just filling uh, 10 million other roles, like wearing a bunch of different hats. And, and so one night after a show, we went next door to the little karaoke uh, bar, and she sang Creep uh, just with uh, literally – um, there was like five people in this karaoke bar, uh, like late at night after the show was wrapped and all this stuff. And she just hammered this fucking song out where like, you know, she's singing all sweet, beautiful one second. And she's growling in this death metal voice that I'd never heard. It sounded like she was like the fucking exorcist kid or something like it was <laughs> like, this. and the, the, the couple of people that were in there and one of my, my buddy that was running the karaoke stuff, our mutual buddy, uh, a guy named Angel, this dude that was, that was, uh, uh, helped run the venue for where we were doing free show. He just kind of looks at me. He's like, what the fuck was that? And I'm looking at him going, I don't know what the fuck that was. But all I know is I'm hitting that. That's all I know. <laughs> and, uh, I'm scared silly. Like I, hey, Jesus, I've been naked with that thing. Oh my goodness. I didn't know that could come out of her face. Like she could just rip this noise out of her face. Like I never, never heard that. And I'm like, you're doing that on the next fucking show. And she's just, really? Like, you want me to do that? I thought that was okay. And I'm like, uh, it was more than okay. It was fucking amazing. Like, again, me and my buddy Angel just looked at each other. We almost like giggled, like, what did we just stumble onto? Like, what just happened right now? Like, somebody <laughs> set a nuclear bomb off in my wife's mouth, you know? 
like, what the fuck? And, um, and then she did. She sang a, a, a couple different uh, songs on shows that came right after that. And then sometimes it just got too hectic for her to, to sing all the time. And then just and then soon after, we, uh, we didn't do a whole lot of the freak shows. I, I started focusing more on me flying out and just doing um, as talent, being on whatever shows, like across the country and across the planet, and whatever. Um, but I definitely want her to do that again with me in the ring. I will. She can do that with me. Any opportunity I can get to have her do that. Yeah, dude, it was it was fucking phenomenal, dude. I can't believe that she's not doing this on a on a regular. <laughs> when you posted well, that she, video, man, I I love like I love different uh, renditions of, of of cover tunes, especially when you when you add that darkness to it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's no secret on this podcast, dude. I am a huge fan of just about anything horror and 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 creepy, and I love that they added that aspect in professional wrestling. I've loved it since back in the day, so I'm glad we're seeing a lot more of it today and man she she hammered it home man well how people would say oh man you know like because arnie got the rug yanked under before he ever got started and all this kind of stuff and you know he was there and then bam he disappeared you know trust me that wasn't my choice but right uh, but karen really went through something so similar like she was she was the same recording studios as like some big heavy duty bands from like back in the day she was from she She's born in California. She's raised in, in the San Francisco in the Bay Area. And so she was, she was jamming in the same sound studios with like some super duper huge, like world famous bands. And, um, she got a, a record deal. And then just right as that record deal was happening, then she got swerved and, and, and it got snatched from underneath her. And so I think that was, you know, how that happened with Kazarni is, is, uh, very similar. And I think we kind of have that amongst a billion other things in common, but, we definitely have that where, you know, something got yanked from us right before it ever got it started. Well, I mean, it, it could be a blessing in disguise too, man, because, you know, Sin Bodhi has been blowing up ever since. And I'm I'm thankful that I got to see you in uh, my hometown promotion, Prestige Wrestling. Um, I, I hope that when all this is done, we can see you back over in this area again, man, because um, I actually took my, my uh, wife and kids to that. And to see the look on their face when you came out was priceless. <laughs> sweet, sweet, swear, uh, scaring kids is my jam. That's the deal. Yeah, <laughs> it was awesome, man. Uh, I remember um, the littlest one. She she looked at your boots and she's like, "Why? Why does he have uh, stuffed animals um, tied to his boots? <laughs> why does Why does he have you, you them on the shoes?" You can tell her the reason is so any wrestler is welcome to step right up and try to win a bunny. <laughs> i'm gonna tell her that next time <laughs> there you go all right sir well i don't want to keep you from family time so i'm gonna ask you one more question and then we will wrap this up sounds good uh, so on the independent scene man i mean what what are some of your favorite promotions to work oh boy there's there's just a ton um well i think my heart is at obw you know that's where i i got my opportunity with wwe was through uh obw um, I'd wrestled Al Snow uh, a few times on independence uh, in the States and in Canada. And he had said, Hey man, uh, I'm just, uh, I've been coaching down at, o- at OBW. Um, I think you got a lot of potential and you, you have a, uh, a little bit of experience under your belt. He goes, I got, I, I got a lot of kids on my watch. 
that I, you know, I can't always spend a hundred percent of time with some of these guys. You could really make yourself useful to me by coming down and kind of, you know, taking the hits, being in a match. I know I don't have to babysit you. I, you're, you, you think on your feet. You're, you're nice. Uh, you could really, uh, you could take somebody off my hands every night and work with them. And I don't have to worry about you. And, uh, all the WW or all the OVW footage goes to WWE. So I think how you work and how you look, um, I think you have a very good chance of getting a, uh, an opportunity with WWE if you were to come down and work for OVW. And, uh, so I took him up on that and, uh, and I got my ass down to Louisville and, uh, worked for OVW and I was training under Al Snow and Rip Rogers. And about six, seven months later, I was hired by WWE. So thank you, Al Snow. Thank you, Mike Bucci, uh, for those, for the opportunity. It was, I was like the last one to know. I, I, I walked into OVW and, and again, you're asking me my favorite show. Like I say OVW, but there's plenty of other shows that I, I love a lot. But if I had to pick one, I think OVW definitely my, my heart is there. Um, Al Snow taught me so much. Um, Rip Rogers taught me so much. All the guys there, like, uh, everybody from Robert Gibson, uh, Danny Davis. Um, just so many great, you know, coaches there and they were all patient and very cool. And, uh, yeah, so I, that, there's a short answer is OBW. Definitely, man. Uh, I loved watching OBW back. Um, I, I walked into, uh, I, I walked in, I remember the day that I got, I was hired. I walked in and I see like Robert Gibson and he's kind of giggling at me like a little kid, like looking at me. I'm like, What's his problem? Like, you have some eat something weird. Eat shellfish for lunch. Like, what's his fucking problem? You know. And then I walk by and I see Danny Davis kind of looking at me all giggly, and I see Al Snow and he's looking at me all giggly, and I'm like, what's fucking going on here? You know. And then, um, uh, then I got on the phone with with uh, Mike Bucci while I was there, a Nova Simon Dean, who was uh, the hiring guy at WWE at the time, and he and he he goes. Um, uh, yeah, by the way, you're hired. <laughs> I was just like, okay, <laughs> awesome. And he goes, uh, he goes, uh, do you want to, uh, stay in OVW or do you want to go to FCW? And having asked you that question, I'm going to need you to report to FCW, uh, you know, next week. <laughs> like in Florida, it is. No problem. <laughs> twist my arm. Tropical paradise, living out my dreams, twist my freaking arm. And so, uh, again, to this day, I, I owe uh, Al Snow and OBW and Mike Bucci a lot because they were the guys that helped facilitate that first opportunity with WWE. So there you have it. Phenomenal stories, man, from a phenomenal guy. Uh, I appreciate the time that you've taken today to um, do this interview. Uh, very fun show. Lots of knowledge, man. Uh, I couldn't thank you enough. Where can everybody follow you and support you, man? Uh, social media is... Uh, Sin Bodie, S-I-N-N-B-O-D-H-I. It's the same for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And that's, I don't, that's all I have. Um, but I'm always, I post seminars or shows or those LJNs or, or whatever I'm up to. Um, and then I'm pretty easy, uh, easy clown to find. So, uh, if you want me at your show, just, uh, shoot me a, a DM on any of those, uh, social media sites and, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, social media has been one of those things where it's almost like your own weird booking agent. Like I've gotten so many shows just from social media and doing those weird promos and, and stuff like that. So yeah, if uh, anybody wants me to, to perform on a show or do a seminar or they want one of those uh, custom LJNs, just uh, hit me up and there you go. 
Definitely. Everybody go buy some toys from this guy, man. Do you have any t-shirts or anything on like pro wrestling tees or? I, I have pro wrestling tees. It's also Sin Bodhi. And then uh, there's also uh, Freak Show Wrestling on pro wrestling tees. And uh, yeah. And then we have all those links too on that snake pit, like on that kind of in that cyber locker room that we were talking about earlier. Um, if you uh, get signed on there. So if you're a wrestler or a student or any anybody industry wise, especially, uh, you know, aspiring and you're just starting to train or whatever. I mean, it's 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 good for all shapes and sizes. Like there's guys that dial in when, when we're doing our Q&As and our Facebook lives and whatever match reviews. There's guys that are that are six months in and there's guys that are 20 years in that dial into that thing. There's coaches and agents and producers from just about every major company on there. Sometimes I like I can see them on there peeking in whether they, they sometimes they pipe up sometimes they they don't um they just are just they're just watching and i have a lot of guests on there i have a lot of repeat coaches i'm mr wonderful rock riddle always comes on every wednesday tyson dukes uh posts a ton of uh in-ring um awesomeness really great stuff and then i always have like a, an al snow or a gangrel or a dr tom uh had so many different had had Pat Buck, just a lot, so many. Angelina Love, uh, Ezekiel Jackson, talking about big man stuff. Um, just all sorts of anything we can we can do to sort of uh, shed some insight on uh, the wrestling game, and that's uh, really cool. And that's a Snake Pit, uh, Snake Pit online on Facebook, and you can kind of find the links to it on any of my social media. Really, it's pretty well, there easy. You, well, there you have it, man. Go support this guy. Get some T-shirts. Um, go watch his YouTube videos, man. They're they're a trip, dude. Some of these promos that he cuts is amazing. And you're going to hear a promo at the beginning of the show, or you already did. Um, yeah, man. Uh, thank you so much, Sin Bodhi. Uh, this was amazing. Uh, you guys can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at the Pro Wrestling Shoot. You can follow us on Twitter at TPWS Podcast. And since James ain't here, I guess I'll plug his Twitter as well. Uh, you can find him at TPWS underscore Renegade. Um, Thank you so much, uh, the the warlord of weird, Sin Bodhi. Thank you, and if I can just simply close with saying it is a wrestler's job, sports entertainer's job, whatever you want to call worker's job, whatever you want to call us, to not do any one certain move or do it this way or do it that way. It is our job to put smiles on faces. So that's the long and short of what we do, and hopefully I do that for y'all and any wrestler worth a damn should be doing that for you guys and that's the thing we all love this so uh thank you very much for having me and uh just like on the sign off on snake bit i will simply say be safe be smart and be kind well there you have it well you have certainly put a smile on my face today man thank you so much for coming on and uh, you have a great day thank you my friend have a good night The Pro Wrestling Shoot listeners, it is I, Conrad Cushman from Everything Pro Wrestling, here to let you know that Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans for the fans. And you guys can catch us on YouTube where we record all of our podcast episodes live, where we get fan interaction, fan feedback, and get your thoughts on everything happening in the pro wrestling world. So do us a favor. Join us on Wednesdays after AEW Dynamite at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Join us in the live stream. Come on in and leave your thoughts about AEW Dynamite. We also do pay-per-view reviews for all of your favorite companies, whether it's WWE, 
NXT, New Japan, Impact Wrestling, Ring of Honor. Sometimes we even pop up with a local indie review. Just make sure you're subscribed to Everything Pro Wrestling on YouTube. And if you want to listen to us on the go and you want to just listen to the audio versions, we are also featured on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Now, let's get back to listening to Jesse and the Pro Wrestling Shoot. Don't forget to check out Rent Ray Podcast every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific on YouTube, which is my name, Brennan Martin. Look up Brennan Martin. It features a profile of myself and Chavo Guerrero. And, and Rant Ray Podcast contains four main hosts, which is myself, Jordan Little, Andrew Hawking, and David St. Dennis, as we discuss out news, sports, video games, movies, TV shows, pro wrestling, and much, much more, and also exclusive interviews as well, including talent from Prestige Wrestling, Fi, Without a Cause, I mean, and a whole lot more, including former WWE superstars and also current AEW superstars as well. Don't forget to check out the Facebook page, which is Rant Ray Podcast, and also the Twitter page at R&R Podcast 19, capital R&R-P, respirate lowercase, including number 19. Same handle with Instagram, but all of its lowercase, including number 19. And don't forget to check out the, to listen all podcasts, including Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, and many more, many available platforms as well. And also do not forget to check out the store, which is brainbusterdees.com for your Rent Ray Podcast merch, including the fanny pack, face mask, t-shirts, uh, hoodies, stickers, hats, uh, hoodies, sweatshirts, tank top, joggers, a beanie as well, and many more to go. So that, and to look that up is brainbusterdees.com slash other slash rant dash and dash rave dash podcast slash and always the rant and rave podcast hey everyone i'm austin i'm miguel i'm brian and we're the off the mood scale wrestling podcast we bring weekly reviews for wwe raw and smackdown as well as AEW dynamite uh, we also cover each wwe and AEW pay-per-view as well as those other companies at times tune in each sunday for new episodes from the announcing minds of lifelong wrestling fans Check out the Off the Mudo Scale Wrestling Podcast.